Our text today is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Hear now God's word. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for, for you, which is your glory. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. Like the universe, the gospel is both large and small. We can look up at the skies. We can look down in a microscope. God created the whole cosmos. He is seen in the big picture and He is fully seen in the tiniest details. So too, the Gospel comes with power to change individuals, to change some obscure, unknown individual. It also comes with power to change the world. It is personal. It is global. It is historical. It is eschatological. And so we preach the gospel to our families and to our neighbors, and we also preach the gospel to the whole world, to troubled souls, to troubled nations. There is trouble everywhere because there is sin everywhere. We warn individuals, we warn families, we warn nations. Because there are warring individuals and warring nations and warring families everywhere. What does the Christian faith have to say about all these problems that we face? Do we have any hope? Can the Bible shed any light on the horrible condition that we find ourselves in? This passage addresses these questions. The Apostle Paul is not going to simply give us his learned opinion. It's not that he is a great thinker and philosopher, which he was, but he's not relying on that, of having sat around and thought about all this and come up now with a solution. But rather he says that he has something that has been given to him, something above him, something that has been revealed to him that he is now revealing to us. In other words, he's going to deliver God's answer to the problems of individuals. That'd be your problems. And to the problems of the world. The context is a dark world, and then Paul says that he wants to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Photosei, the word for see, means to bring to light to enlighten, to illuminate, to shine a light on something so that we can render it evident. Paul says, I, my mission is to make all men see. 
see, some see human history, you see, as an endless cycle of rising and falling without any progress at all. We just keep on repeating over and over the same things. They see history as futile. No purpose at all. Things just happen. And maybe the best you can do is be stoic about it and just grin and bear it or press on and realize there's not a thing you can do about it and that's just the way it is. Marxists are somewhat more optimistic. They think that at least in that uh, repetitive cycle of conflict and turmoil emerges some new synthesis, some new improved situation, however slowly it emerges. But throughout history, we're, in their view, an evolutionary view, marching toward some goal, some improvement, some progress, and ultimately to some utopia. And perhaps the best we can do is help speed that along by encouraging more conflict, stirring the pot more often so that those that new synthesis can emerge and that progress can be made. You see, all the bottom line is that the whole world is groping in darkness. It's just feeling itself around. It really doesn't know where it is or where it's going. As the book of Ecclesiastes describes life under the sun as vanity of vanities. It's just empty. Or to use Paul's words in Ephesians 2 as he described the Gentiles who had not heard the gospel as being without hope. The world is hopeless. Isaiah 60 verse 2 describes it this way, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And gross darkness, the people. I always remember a funny line from an old Baptist pastor, Vance Havner, who says, gross darkness is 144 times darker than regular darkness. Well, that's the description of the world. But Paul says that the good news of the gospel is that there is light. He says that he has been called to make all see. Of course, Paul is simply carrying forth the message that Jesus had already given when Jesus said, what? I am the light of the world. It's hard to imagine a claim more profound than that, more bold than that, bigger than that. I am the light of the world. And yet that's what Jesus says about himself. And John also writes in John 1, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He, that is John the Baptist, was not the light. But he was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Again, hard to imagine a bolder claim, but that is the claim of the gospel. So Paul is now advancing the message and the mission to shed light on God's plan and God's purpose for the world, which was to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. 
The word fellowship might be better understood if we translated it as communion or the common union of the mystery. The idea that all things are being brought together in Christ. You remember in verse 11, he said, uh, he goes on to say that this commission is according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus the Lord. In verse 9, he says, this plan was in the mind of God from the beginning of the ages. And it's been hidden in God. And with the coming of Christ, that plan was fully revealed. And and so no matter what else has gone on in the world, whatever else has gone on, whatever else is going on, His plan is being executed. There is no contingency with God. God is not sitting in heaven waiting to see what happens next. Wondering if it will thwart His plans. In verse 9 and 10, Paul says that this mystery, quote, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's a, you read that very fast, it's easy to just keep reading and not stop and think about what's being said there. But here's what's being said. Even the angels in heaven have been watching the mystery unfold through the ages. They, they don't know. They're not omniscient. They don't know. God hasn't told them. I have this image of God basically saying to all the hosts of heaven, the angels, sit back and watch. Watch what I will do. Look at fallen humanity. Look at the mess. Now watch what I'm going to do. And so as this drama unfolds through history, there they are watching. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it's very explicit. Peter says, of this salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, to the New Testament Christians, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, the Old Testament prophets, was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to save the last little part here for a second. You got the picture? Old Testament prophets are telling about what's coming in Christ. And they're studying this and trying to figure out what does this mean and what is God doing? And and again, imagine the angels also are watching and wondering the same thing. And they're amazed to see how God is at work and this story and drama is unfolding little by little. And then Peter says, and now it's been given to us, the apostles, to have even more and to bring that to you. That What they found out was they were not really addressing their contemporaries as much as they were addressing you in the future, referring to those there in the New Testament in the first century and beyond. But listen to this very last thing after he says all of this. I'll back up. To them it was revealed not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which... Angels 
desire to look into. The angels, again, are this grand audience of this unfolding story and plan of God to rescue fallen men. The angels knew that God was doing something, but they were not quite sure what it was. Throughout the Old Testament, little by little, God's plan was revealed until finally the light of the world appeared. So what was this plan that was established before the foundation of the world, which was from the beginning of the ages and has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ? One of the emphases we're going to see with Paul in all this passage is, is, is he's not just talking about something he's now prophesying about the future. He's saying, no, this, this was hatched before the foundation of the world. This has been going on all along. This has been part of God's plan. He created everything, and this is all part of, of what he's accomplishing. And, and so that's why I think Paul inserts God who created all things through Jesus Christ because he wants us to remember that this is God's world and not man's. We've all been in a tizzy about the presidential election and the last year of campaigning and worried that it's all going to fall apart now. Or maybe the next election cycle will be the end of the world. And we, we go through this over and over and over because we, we do forget. And it may be the end of the world, but if it is, it'll be because it's part of God's plan. And we need to rest in that as God's people. In other words, the story is bigger than what happened last week or last year. He wants us to remember that it's God's world, not man's. He precedes all history. History is his story. He will conclude history. It is all his plan. And so Paul says in verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, sin has disrupted the world and made it a broken, ugly, and dark place. It's full of misery. It's full of suffering and vile things. Man has taken what is good and made it evil. Genesis 6-5. This isn't something new for us. There in the opening chapters of the Bible, in chapter 6 of Genesis, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That's a pretty comprehensive statement about the condition of man in Genesis 6. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, how often? All the time. Constantly. Continually. It is against this grim backdrop that the gospel light burst in. Paul has already declared in Ephesians 1.10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth in him. That's the plan. Everything is to be brought back into fellowship, back into communion in Christ. It was torn apart by sin, and now God is putting it back together in Christ, restored, renewed, resurrected. So how is God going to accomplish His plan? Well, I can tell you, He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it by encouraging people to be good. There is no expectation 
that people are simply going to follow the ethical teachings of Jesus. That would be, frankly, a complete denial of the gospel. It is not the law of God. Uh, It's not that the law of God is not perfect. It is. But the problem is us, not the law. Romans 8, 7 through 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Try to be as good as you can. Go ahead and give it a shot. Try it tomorrow. It won't be good enough. You can't. You don't have the ability. It all starts with our being reconciled to God. That's His plan. The enmity between us and Him, the hostility between us and Him, has to be removed. Remember, we're under the wrath of God, but we're also hostile toward Him. We don't want Him butting in and telling us what to do. We want to be our own God. So the enmity is in both directions. We must first have peace with God, and that peace is always had on His terms, not our terms. And His terms necessitate the work of Christ on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 21, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Ephesians 3.10 All this is aimed at the greater goal, as Paul puts it, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The global goal will be accomplished through the church, which is the body of Christ. That's God's chosen mechanism, the way he is implementing his plan through regular people like you, through history, through redeemed sinners. Isn't that amazing? He takes the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Not many noble, not many wise, people just like you and me. He plans a new creation. And the church is the beginning of that new creation. The new humanity has a new body. This one new man in Christ Jesus includes Jews and Gentiles. And this, and this body is called the church. The body is growing. It's expanding throughout history. In every generation, we see a widening of this, of this circle on the earth. As Habakkuk prophesied, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The church grows, it expands, it increases, it matures, it develops, it progresses. God continues to gather his elect from the four corners of the world. In fact, it's happening as I speak right now. Can you hear it? God's kingdom is marching on right now, all over the world. Revelation eleven fifteen: the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hebrews 12, 22 through 23, but you 
have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. You see, we're also united right this minute as the church, as the body of Christ, to those who died, who, who are already in glory, who've gone ahead of us, who have conquered territory for us, who've handed the baton to us. This has been going on and on and on, and the kingdom keeps growing and growing and expanding. In Matthew 19, 28 and 29, Jesus describes a coming day. He says, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. That has been going on for thousands of years. You see, regeneration is not just individual and personal. It is part of God's plan for the cosmos. Jesus says, in the regeneration. That's future. 2 Peter 3.13, We, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isn't that what we all long to see? A heaven and an earth in which righteousness dwells? That's what the gospel light is all about, and it is certain because God Himself is certain. Satan asked Eve early on, Hath God indeed said? And it turns out he not only had said, but he meant what he said. He can't lie. If he says, let there be light, there is light. Job said, I know you can do everything and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And Isaiah asked, for the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? You see, throughout the Old Testament, we see many things happen that appeared that they might, on the face of it, frustrate God's plan, none of them did. Abraham, we're told, saw Christ's day and rejoiced. And there was a lot that happened in history between the time of Abraham and Christ's day. 2,000 years worth. As much time between Abraham and Christ as there is between Christ and us. That's a lot of history. It's a lot of wars. There's a lot of things going on in the world. Christ came at the right time. King Herod tried to kill him. Many others tried to stop him. At the crucifixion, there was darkness over the whole land. And when all seemed hopeless... God used the unlikely instrument of the cross to defeat his enemies. For when we were still without strength, in due time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Right on time. 
And when it all seemed hopeless, God used even his enemies. And then something changed. Matthew 27, 51 through 54, And behold, a veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked. And the rocks were split, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. It's been happening ever since. And so, if you're discouraged and afraid and have lost sight, all you can see is what happened this past week or maybe what might happen tomorrow, I want to urge you to look further behind you, way behind you, all the way back to the beginning, before the foundation of the world. That's where the story began. And then I want you to turn around and look ahead of you and see where the story is going, where the plan is headed, and understand that you're part of that story. There is a future. And if you walk with Him, He takes all the bad stuff and He works it together for good if you love Him. That's His power. He he can take the worst of things How do you get worse than the crucifixion? And yet that worst of crimes, that worst of events, that worst of human expression, the the killing of the Son of God, God took and used it to be the most powerful thing to rescue us. So don't lose hope. You have every reason to be hopeful. Don't stay in the dark. You have a light. That's Paul's message. And he wants everyone to see it. Do you see it? Let's pray. Father, we are such little children. And as such, we are limited in our perspective. We have a hard time seeing beyond what is right in front of us. And thus, we are easily discouraged. Help us listen to you so that we might gain true perspective on our lives and upon all of history. Indeed, enable us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who has promised us an everlasting future. May we rest in the victory that you have accomplished for us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 1. As Jesus appears to his disciples who gathered after his crucifixion, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
And there they took those lights and went out into the dark world and began to shine them. I want to read four quotes from N.T. Wright from his book, Surprised by Hope, which addresses largely this issue of how this new beginning uh, happened as a result of the resurrection and this new creation and this new humanity, and now we're part of this. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is about. The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy, acquiescing in the general belief that things may be getting worse, but that there's nothing much we can do about them. And we are wrong. Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. Salvation, then, is not, quote, going to heaven, but, quote, being raised to life in God's new heaven and new earth. But as soon as we put it like this, we realize that the New Testament is full of hints, indications, and downright assertions that this salvation isn't just something we have to wait for in the long-distance future. We can enjoy it here and now, always partially, of course, since we all still have to die genuinely anticipating in the present what is to come in the future. We were saved, says Paul in Romans 8.24, in hope. The verb, we were saved, indicates a past action, something that has already taken place, referring obviously to the complex of faith and baptism of which Paul has been speaking in the letter so far. But this remains in hope because we shall look forward to the ultimate future salvation of which he speaks in, for example, Romans 5. And so we are to see all of that. We're to see what God has done in planning all this, what he's already accomplished in our lives now, what he is currently doing in our lives as part of the body of Christ, as part of his kingdom, and that it is moving toward something, toward culmination, toward climax, toward the apex of his plan for all eternity. And we come now to the Lord's table to remember that. Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, governor and sustainer of all things, in whom we live and move and have our being, 
who gives us life and breath and all good things, who declares the end from the beginning, who numbered our days when as yet there was not one of them, without whose will not even a sparrow falls from a tree, who works all things after the counsel of his will, ordaining whatsoever comes to pass. You, O Lord, planted faith and hope in our hearts, which looks beyond our mortal life. Therefore, we give you thanks this day for the light of immortality in Jesus Christ. He has called us into his kingdom and to those things that do not pass away. We pray now that you would find peace, that we would find peace in the promises of the gospel and the promise of a future home. Today we pray that you would be a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Send your Holy Spirit to lead us and, and may the promises of your word be our consolation. Raise us up, we pray, in the power of his spirit from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. Prepare us to follow him in hope and trust through the journey of this world, the darkness of the grave, and into the world of light where he has led the way, through him who is the resurrection and the life, even Jesus our Lord. Even today, Lord, we pray we would find our rest in you, our joy in you. Bless our fellowship and our feast, our communion with you and with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.